Super duper. So here we are. We're in the book of Acts, which we've been, uh, we kicked off a few weeks ago. We've been following this as a bit of a journey. We're not sure how long we're going to go. We're at Acts chapter 5. There's quite a few chapters. We'll see how we go in terms of the longevity of it. But it's just really interesting. I did this last week. Hands up if you were here last week for chapter 4. Just put your hands up. Okay. Turn around and have a look quickly. Yeah, you. Okay. All right, hands down. Hands up if you weren't here last week. Isn't that unbelievable? Right, hands down. Okay. If you can, this, I don't normally do this, right? If I, I don't normally do this, but if you can come consistently, that would be wonderful. And the only reason is this. It's because you miss out. <clears throat> you know, we're in a series. I'm going to recap briefly, but you kind of miss out. So at the same time, I fully, fully appreciate there are frogs in your voice. Um, fully appreciate things happen, things come up, there's weekends away and all this, absolutely. But otherwise, when we're, when we're in series, guys, uh, get out, that would be absolutely fantastic. So Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they're arrested, they're brought before the Jewish council because of the healing. They've healed this man on their way to prayer. And I just love Jennifer's stories. On her way to body combat, she encounters and, and the rest of the story. And so much of what we read about in the Acts of the Apostles is our lives too, on our way to work, on our way to Tesco, in amongst the fabric softener, checking out the prices, a conversation envelops there. It's on the way, it's just normal life. We don't have to sign up to do a missionary team to be a missionary, right? Sometimes some of us find it easier to sign up to a team and fly across to Africa or whatever to, to be missionaries there than it is simply to cross the road to our neighbors across the street and check in with them. Now, that's not dissing the teams because they're brilliant as well. Okay, but you get the point. So there they are, Acts chapter 3. They've healed this guy. Acts chapter 4, they've gotten in trouble with the Jewish council. They're arrested. Peter preaches to them, 2,000 more men which means there's obviously lots of women and children as well, giving their lives to Jesus. The apostles and the believers were very much in one heart and one mind. There's such unity, such a buzz about what God was doing in the very heart place, in the very place where Jesus was sentenced and crucified and rose again in Jerusalem, the holy ancient city. And what they were doing, because there was such a oneness of heart, is that the, the followers, they were selling their possessions, they were selling land, and they would bring the money to the apostles, and the apostles would then divvy it up to those who were in need. And it was absolutely wonderful. This was kingdom, kingdom theology, kingdom monetary economics, and that's what's happening. So we're in Acts chapter 5, and we follow on this story, but it's not the greatest story. And um, here we go. Now a man <coughs> named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, they, they also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet, which is what they were doing. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? 
And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife comes back, not knowing what's happened. Peter asks her, it's her turn, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. That's a cheery story to get us going on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Huh? My goodness me. It's a terrifying story. We read that in our context today and we think, my goodness, I thought God was meant to be kind. I thought he's meant to be merciful. I thought he's meant to be gracious. I thought he was meant to be loving. What on earth is that story all about? They've sold this land and they have been greedy in keeping some of it. And they made it out to the apostles as if they'd given everything. But secretly they had chosen to keep some back. But the interesting thing is this, that Peter says this, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? It was at your disposal right at the beginning, but you chose to do this. And after it was sold, you, you could have done whatever you wanted with the money. You could have given some of the money, but been open and honest about it. Said, actually, you're going to keep some of it. But, but made it out, made it look like, oh, aren't we great? Whew, we've given all this money, there you go. But actually had given some, kept some back. And so he lies about it, she lies about it, and they both die. And holy fear is spread across the church. The believers were encountering uh, this awesome God who was doing just incredible stuff, who would not tolerate with sin and with dishonesty. And this event is quick and simple and in a way saved the rest of the people from all kinds of things that could have happened. Churches um, such sin at the beginning, you've got, to, you've got to imagine this. This is the early church being birthed and being born at this time. And an event such as this, even though we look at that and, and we do, we think, my goodness, that is incredibly harsh. It could have had devastating effects if that and other things were allowed. And I just think sometimes, you know, when churches are born and birthed, that they need to be birthed. We talked about this, what, two or three weeks ago, multiplying churches, planting new churches, and when they're done in the right way and in, in, in with really, really good intentions and godly intentions, it's in the DNA, and they grow and they last and they flourish. But sadly, there are some churches, aren't there, and we know that churches begin out of sin. You know, we've heard too often I hate this word. I hate it with a passion. When the church split. And we've heard that, haven't we? And we've seen that. And we've, 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 we've known friends that have been caught up in those things. And I just think split is, is, is just can't be a word in the kingdom of God. Multiply, yes. Split, no. 
And, and at the very beginning of, of that, it's in the DNA of the church. And we look back here as the early church with birth and born. And this act um, was dealt with really, really severely. And in a way, holy fear spread amongst the people. We deal with an awesome God, a holy God, who longs for us to be holy as well. Okay, here we go. 12 and 16. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that they, at least Peter's shadow, might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Signs and wonders, signs and wonders which followed the kingdom, signs and wonders which were a demonstration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And again, I remind you, as a people, as a body, as a church, that we wholeheartedly believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit is poured out amongst us, we will see signs and wonders. We will see them, and we get to be a part of that, and we begin to step out in faith and take little risks and big risks by saying, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God changes and just turns around your situation. It seems impossible, but God is the God of the impossible, and we believe, and we're stretching for that, and we're going for that. I was with a uh, friend of mine yesterday, um, who's a really good friend of mine, he's a Christian, and we were chatting about stuff, we were ch chatting about churches, different theologies. That basically means their sort of understanding of the Bible and the Word of God, right? And we, I was chatting about this sort of stuff, and I was saying about how we want to press into uh, the miraculous, the signs and wonders that the Holy Spirit brings. And, um, and I shared with him this story that we read about during the week. There's a guy, uh, he's a friend of the Vineyard Church from America called Robbie Dawkins. Anyone, anyone heard of this guy? Yeah. Oh, is he a vineyard? I thought he was a vineyard pastor. He's great. So uh, he's from the States. Big, big American guy, full of life, really incredible kind of character. And he's really, really pushing into this stuff. The signs and the ones, healing and miracles. And uh, it was reported last week with a fully comprehensive report from a GP, from a doctor, that he raised someone from the dead in England last week. And I read that and I go, that is amazing. That is incredible. Now, there would have been a time, and I'm going to confess to you, there would have been a time in my understanding, my belief, that I, I would hear that story and go, yeah, right. I would have. But increasingly, the more and more I see, the more and more I see the God of the impossible, the God of the miracles, doing the things that he can do, do these things, I'm like, yes, and I want a slice of that. And I want a slice of that. I have no idea where we are here. Where are we? So the community of Christians then were building up this great reputation. And they had great integrity. And the most incredible thing was that it's in the holy city of Jerusalem. But the people in the surrounding towns for miles and miles, they were getting to hear about all that God was doing. And like I said last week, they didn't even have Facebook. I mean, how did they know? 
How did they know? Word spread amongst all the surrounding towns. And people from all those towns, they were coming. They were coming to the city of Jerusalem, coming desperate to see and to experience and to just have one touch, just one touch. You remember the story when the lady, she came and she just wanted to touch the hem of the garment of Jesus. She'd been bleeding for several years. It was a, a, a disgrace to her in that culture at that time. She just needed just a touch of Jesus. That was all that she, that she needed. And there are these people desperate and they were being brought to Jerusalem only so that at least Peter's shadow might pass upon them. You probably can't see it, but I can see it. As the lights are kind of shining as I move, there's the shadow. And in, ancient, in those ancient worlds, there was this kind of belief that if the, a, a person's shadow, a particular person's shadow, might hold uh, divine magical powers, which is partly why in, in that place at that time they were probably thinking, if only we could just be present when Peter walks past, maybe even the presence that, of the Holy Spirit that he carries, even just his shadow, might be enough to be healed. doesn't actually say that anyone was healed that way, by the way. But there was this desperation and this hunger and this faith to believe that God is doing things. Oh, that the church would be known. Oh, that people would be drawn from our communities, from the different places, the different uh, estates all over our town. Oh, that people from the villages and from out in the countryside would be drawn to churches because of the presence of Jesus. It's not that we serve great coffee and donuts, which we do. It's not that we do nice special cake on Mother's Day. It's not that we're just friendly and, or oh, I hope that you think we are. It's not that, you know, it's they come because of the presence of Jesus. And oh, would that be the same for all of our churches in our towns? Wouldn't that be it? That people come, that they don't have these, this, these feelings of, oh, the church this, oh, the church that. The church of Jesus just emanates the love and the presence of Jesus that has the power to change people's lives. Then the high priests and all his associates who were filled, members of the party and the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles, put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said. Tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, began to teach. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, sent to the jail to go get the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the, uh, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail, they're out there, they're standing in the temple courts and they're teaching the people. The Jewish leaders, they're full of jealousy. What is going on? Is this furore? I can't say. What's that word? Okay, I can't quite pronounce it. There's, this, there's such a buzz going on in this town. People coming 
into uh, this belief in this person of Jesus, the man who they crucified. They were the Jewish leaders who upheld the, the religious status quo of that nation. They were God's representatives. They were the main men in that place, and they were jealous of what was going on. The good news of the gospel was a threat, and the apostles are put in jail. And Peter and John, they're thinking, oh no, here we go again. But in the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord breaks them out. Isn't that amazing? This angelic presence comes to tend to his people. And here's another thing that might stretch your minds and your belief and your understanding. The angels do exist. And angels are here to tend to his people. Not always and not in all circumstances. But in this circumstances, the angels come, they unlock the doors, get them out during the night because they've got a job to do and the job is to go into the streets and to teach and to preach the good news of Jesus. And that's what happens. But I love this story. The next day, you can imagine it, the high priest, he's had his breakfast and he's like, good, we're going to get those apostles today. We're going to sort them out once and for all. And they get the whole Jewish council together. It's like, right lads, here we are, court adjourned, go get them. So they send for them. The temple guard, remember, he's like the police for the temple. He's like, right, go get them, go get them. So they go along to the jail and they realize, oh, flip, where are they? Oh, dear. Doors are still locked. Officers are still there. And I love the words. Don't you just love the, the understatement sometimes of the Bible? It says this, on hearing this, the captain, the temple guard, and the chief priests were at a loss. Isn't that beautiful? It's like such an understatement. At a loss. Oh dear, I wonder what could have happened. They must have been tearing their hair out. They're going, wondering what this might lead to. It's like, there may be trouble ahead. They know in their jobs and, and lives. Like, we were, we were meant to look after them. We were meant to lock the door. Who didn't lock the door? Oh my goodness, what's happened? And so, they're, they're, all this going on. And then someone spots them. You can imagine it, can't you? They're meant to be in jail. They're all looking around. They're in the courtroom or whatever it was that they were doing. And then they say, look, there they are. They're out in the temple. They're doing it again. They're doing the stuff that we brought them in prison. They're cheeky beggars. What are they doing? They're out there doing it. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in. And they were made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You can almost hear it like that, can't you? Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And they are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied. I'm not sure how they replied, but I'm going to give it this tone. We must obey God rather than human beings. You can just tell, it's just like, we're not going to get uptight like you're getting all uptight. I'm assuming they were getting uptight. We're just going to be quite confident. We're not going to obey, we're going to obey God here. We're not going to obey you. The God of our ancestors, and he includes them in it, because he is one of them, right? The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross, 
God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. And I think in these last few verses, they're saying what they're doing, but I think he's having a pop at them as well. Listen, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What they, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. He's saying to them, we're being obedient here. We're choosing to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and his leading. And yet you're not. You're choosing not to be. Um, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We were with our good friend, uh, my old, old, old pastor from England called Mike. And uh, he was explaining that book, The Five Love Languages. You know, some of you have probably read that. Uh, Gary Chapman, he writes about these different ways that we receive and uh, feel love is through these different ways. And, and Mike was saying, I rec he reckons that there was a sixth love language. And that if there was God's love language, it would be obedience. It was obedience. And there's nothing more, I think, that the Father just loves is when we're obedient to him. When God speaks and God reveals and God shows and he invites us into a journey, Will we obey him? Will we obey the voice of the Lord? Will we obey what the scriptures teach us? Will we do those things? Here we are. I will hurry up, dear. Thank you. No, you're right. Um, okay, I'll not read the next bit. You can read the next bit yourself. This Pharisee basically stands up in amongst the teachers of the law and he basically said, he talks about two guys who were really influential before. And he, they managed to gather a number of folks and there was a bit of a revolt going on. But whenever those individual guys were killed or then the rest of the followers perished. And the Pharisee, basically his advice to the Jewish council was simply this, was just let it go. Let the guys go. Because if it's of human doing, all this stuff going on in the city will just it will just disappear just go but if it's God it will be unstoppable and you can't get in the way of God what wise words from this teacher of the Lord men's activity and this is where it applies to us can come to nothing but God's activity and his kingdom and his choice to advance his kingdom is unstoppable. And may we never make all this about us, but may it always be about him. May we never get in the way of the things of the kingdom and what God's wanting to do. And I'm coming into land. The last few verses is this. that The, te the teachers at the Sanhedrin agree with the guy's advice and they let them go. They let them go, but have them flogged. And flogged is anything up to 40 lashes. It's for the, the Deuteronomy, that word law, um, about getting flogged. And it's, it's a horrific thing. So they get punished, they get beaten. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus again like they were going to. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. 
And day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of the Messiah. And Jesus, he prepared them again. He knew it was going to come. He knew that his main guys and the rest of the church, they were going to suffer because of him. He said those words in Luke, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of me. Blessed are you when you suffer because of him. And there are times when we do nothing like the way they were. Listen to this list. These are the disciples, the early disciples. This is how it ended for them. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. John died a natural death, but they unsuccessfully tried to boil him in oil. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown from a height, then beaten with clubs. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten until death. Andrew was crucified and preached at the top of his voice to the persecutors until he died. And we get annoyed if someone says something mean to us. That's what happened. Blessed are you when they insult you. And yet they continued. And yet they persevered. And yet they continued to preach and to teach the kingdom of God. This is the early church, folks. This is how it began for them. And we're just a part of that. We are we're, we're a part of the journey. We're a part of the story. And it's wonderful to be a part of that. And what we're going to do is we're going to worship the Lord some more. And then we're going to see what he wants to do among us. So why don't we stand?